Hi and welcome to Bergers Now, our weekly podcast. My name is Aurelia Rauch and today my guest is Till Budelmann. Hi Till, how are you? Hi Aurelia, I'm fine. Till last week uh, on Saturday I woke up and I think my first awake words, uh, I, I should not repeat them here and then I looked at my phone and I already had some messages from you actually. Um, tell us what happened. Yeah, six days ago the United States and the world Yeah. lost one of its most treasured public servants, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yes. also known as RBG. And uh, yeah, you might remember the last episode we, get, we did together two weeks ago um, here in this format. I said uh, right at the end that there might be an October surprise. Mm -hmm. And well, as things turned out, uh, we experienced a September surprise. Uh, and it was a tragic one. Yeah, it's, a, it's indeed a, an incredibly tragic one. The notorious RBG, as she yeah, was called. Yeah, the notorious RBG. <laughs> 87 years old and, and died from complications of cancer. And she fought a courageous battle with her illnesses over all these years yeah. until the very end. And yeah, it's very sad. She certainly, for me personally, was a figure I have always admired and followed for as long as I can remember being interested in, in you know, that kind of aspect of, of law and justice, uh, followed her. And uh, yeah, I'm emotionally, I'm personally very touched by this loss. But of course, there's so much about her that is worth uh, pointing to. Tell us a little bit about her, please. Yeah, she was the second female justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. And she was really an icon. Mm -hmm. And uh, as tough as they come, um, until the 2018 term, Ginsburg had not missed a single day of oral arguments. Can you believe it? Not a single day. Not even when she was undergoing chemotherapy mm -hmm. uh, or the day after her husband passed away in, in 2010. Yeah. And uh, her determination and dedication were just remarkable. And RBG was a champion of women's rights and equality for all Americans. I mean, that's safe to say. And uh, looking at her life, she was born into a, uh, into a Jewish family, an immigrant Jewish family. So she really understood firsthand uh, the dilemma which women, immigrants, minorities faced yes. in those days. And uh, imagine, despite her stellar academic record at Cornell and mm -hmm. she went to Harvard, mm -hmm. to Columbia, she found her gender a barrier to her career mm -hmm. start mm -hmm. because of the first 12 firms uh, with which she interviewed after completing uh, her education. Not one, not a single one offered her a job. Mm -hmm. Imagine mm -hmm. the great RBG. And... Um, Yeah, the challenges she faced made her a fierce advocate for equality and inspired her to create change her whole life. And many argue, and I got the feeling you are among those, um, <laughs> that Justice Ginsburg was simply the most important legal advocate for women's rights in American history. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It's remarkable, really, that she was among very very few women uh, of her class in harvard and you, you just mentioned cornell as well where she where she actually met her husband um who was also in the law 
that aside, though, um, I would love to touch on one point that I think is is just remarkable. Her very close friendship to Antonin Scalia, yeah. her fellow um, Supreme Court justice, who was remarkably not necessarily leaning towards her political and, and no, <laughs> decisions. Yes, can you tell us a bit more about that friendship? Yeah, that was simply a, a great friendship, and uh, as you hinted. Politically, uh, both were as different as night and day. Yeah. But they were still close friends and they went on trips together. They were often referred to as the odd couple. You might remember the famous movie starring uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matteau. Mm -hmm. And uh, after hearing the news of Ginsburg's death on Friday, uh, one of Scalia's sons, Christopher Scalia, tweeted a couple of messages of tribute to RBG and uh, among other things he told the story that Judge Sutton once shared about an encounter late in Scalia's life when Scalia bought his friend Ruth two dozen roses for her birthday as he did every year and uh, Sutton said so what good have all these roses done for you Antonin name one five four case of any significance where you got Justice Ginsburg's vote mm -hmm. And Scalia's answer was uh, simply, sometimes things are simply more important than votes, Jeff. <laughs> and um, I think that's a nice story, especially in this polarized uh, era. And there was even an opera, Scalia and Ginsburg, mm -hmm. written yeah. about the pair who shared a love for opera and theatre. And um, Scalia himself said at one point, call us the odd couple. And about uh, RBG, he said, she likes opera. She's a very nice person. I mean, what's not to like about her? Ex except her views on the law. Uh, <laughs> typical Scalia. Yeah. And yeah, what a great friendship. Uh, as I said, especially considering today's polarized political world. Yeah, of course. That beautifully summarizes um, sort of the human implications of that incredible loss of an, of an icon. That will be, I think, tough for a lot of people emotionally. But looking past that, there are obviously other implications politically. At the yeah. moment, we're very close to an election. Um, can you shed some light on, on those contexts? Yeah, let us now take a look at what RBG's death means for the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. the elections, and what happens next. And I mean, it's safe to say for the coming weeks, the focus will likely be on the effort by President Trump and mm -hmm. Senate Republicans to get a new Supreme Court justice confirmed to replace her. And when we talk about um, the Supreme Court, we talk about every big issue in American life. Everything's on the line. And just to name a few topics, uh, reproductive rights, voting rights, mm -hmm. the future of criminal justice... The power of the presidency, very important. Mm -hmm. The rights of immigrants, tax rules, health care, and the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And replacing Ginsburg with a young conservative justice would really fundamentally shift the ideological balance of the court. Mm -hmm. And it would create a bulletproof conservative majority of, of six, to three, six to three. It might not sound like much, but... Six to three is totally different to five to four. Yeah. And uh, this new majority uh, could lead to a new legal landscape that could last for a generation. Yeah. 
So RBG's death probably has set up nothing short of a historic war for the future of the court and American life under the law. So Trump and Republicans in the Senate are determined to replace her with a conservative justice. And that could decisively tilt the ideological balance of the court for quite a while and would probably constitute the most lasting legacy of a Trump presidency. Yeah, Trump's potential impact there is, is, is quite outstanding. I mean, he already got to nominate two Supreme Court justices that are now acting as yeah, such. That's right. Trump uh, appointed Neil Gorsuch yeah. in 2017 and Brad Kavanaugh in 2018. But um, they both replaced justices who were nominated by earlier Republican presidents. Yes, true. Mm -hmm. And they have pulled the court right, but just a little bit, not far, not as far right as replacing Ginsburg with a conservative would. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember, Ginsburg was nominated by Bill Clinton back in 93 and was very, very liberal. Yeah. I think we made that clear earlier. <laughs> yeah. And with the death of RBG, um, Trump will now have his third opportunity to nominate a justice to the highest court. And um, yeah, but this nomination, however, has the highest stakes yet for Trump, the Republican Party and the whole conservative legal uh, movement. And what I said a minute ago, if successful, it may cement a 6-3 conservative majority on the court, and that would fundamentally push law in the U.S. to the right. And, um, yeah, it's really, really rare for presidents to be able to shift the court's center of gravity with just a single nomination. Yeah. And that, but that's exactly what could happen. And um, if you look at history, I think there are only two comparable examples. One would be the replacement of Justice Marshall with Justice Thomas in 91, and then the replacement of Chief Justice Earl Warren with Chief Justice Warren Burger in the late 60s. And that's why this Supreme Court nomination fight will be such a, a big deal. And um, obviously it's, it's hard to figure out exactly how conservative a given person um, is before they join the court. And it's also hard to predict how they will rule once they get there. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously always a possibility that judges drift to the left or to the right once they have a lifetime appointment to the nation's highest court. But we believe that whoever the nominee is, and we will know in a couple of days, he or most probably she is likely to change the court in ways that we've only seen a handful of times in modern history. And uh, almost no president gets that kind of opportunity, and that's why Trump and the Republican-controlled Senate may be willing to risk a lot to make it happen. Yeah. And it's, it's a tricky one. It's, it's incredibly close to the election. There are many voices at the moment that are arguing whether or not this should even happen. I'm not going to go into detail there, <laughs> but what is your what's your... Prediction, are the Republicans going to succeed? Yeah, it's definitely not a sure thing, Aurelia. Um, to remind everyone, a new appointment by Trump must be confirmed by a straight majority vote in the Senate. Yes. And the Senate leader, the great Mick 
Kanek, as I always say, Mitch McConnell has said he would confirm a new justice before the election. Mm -hmm. um, but McConnell is working with a narrow 53 to 47 majority. And if Trump nominates a conservative with extreme views, mm. the confirmation might be difficult. And uh, much is being made of the strategy of McConnell, who blocked President Obama, Obama's nomination of Judge Garland to the Supreme Court vacancy created by the death of Scalia four years ago. Yeah, exactly. And I think you were hinting at that uh, earlier. And um, yeah, four years ago, he said that a president should not be allowed to nominate a justice in the last year of his term. Yeah. And now he's allowing a justice to be nominated and confirmed in the final weeks before a presidential election. Yeah. But as I said in an earlier episode of this podcast, I think it was during the first episode of Bergos Now, We have to leave the emotions out of our analysis. And we have to realize McConnell's focus is not consistency, but raw political power. And so with 53 Republicans, McConnell can only lose up to three senators because um, if we have a 50-50 tie, Vice President uh, Pence would be the tiebreaker. And so far, only Senators Collins and Murkowski have said no. And at the moment, it's actually hard to count two more no's. And uh, one swing voter could be Mitch Romney, the presidential candidate of 2012, but he seems to, to be on board now. So it's a complex political calculus. Um, and McConnell has to also decide whether to have the vote occur before or after the election. But that's a different topic. But just right. as a reminder, the current Senate sits until January. Yeah. And uh, so there would be time in a lame duck session to confirm uh, a candidate. Yeah, of course. Okay, keeping the, the not emotional cap on here for a second. Um, looking at potential Trump picks, what do you think? Yeah, that's a $1 million question, <laughs> and uh, we will have the decision by Saturday. Um, but I think it's interesting uh, to look a little bit behind the scenes, because this decision is really dividing uh, the president's political orbit between pragmatists and purists. Mm -hmm. And one camp is uh, dominated by what I call the GOP operative class, that oversees the party's electoral efforts, um, for example, his advisors or donors, and they want to do anything possible to win the election. And for them, a judge named Barbara Lagoa would be an undeniable plus. Uh, they say she's Florida-based. Florida is obviously a swing state. Um, she has Cuban roots, mm -hmm. which could help in... Hispanic-heavy Arizona or Nevada. She would be the ideal pick from a pragmatic point of view. But there's also the other camp, led by uh, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, mm -hmm. you know, the Tea Party uh, leader. And this other camp uh, consists of religious and movement uh, conservatives. And they want a can't-miss pick someone who carries the lowest possible risk of becoming too soft mm. once confirmed. And the obvious choice for them is a judge called 
Amy Coney Barrett, by the way, uh, a fan of the earlier mentioned Scalia. And uh, these evangelical leaders are very influential. Mm. And they seem to be in favor of Barrett and against Lagoa. And while Barrett is a fam fam familiar figure after being previously considered by Trump for Supreme Court, mm -hmm. um, the concern is uh, that a lesser known Lagoa could end up deviating from co conservative thoughts. The concern for the evangelicals, obviously. Mm -hmm. But by bypassing Lagoa, yeah, the president would miss an opportunity to bolster his chances in Florida. So it's really a, a close call, but... Let me remind everyone, uh, Trump loves cultural fights. Mm -hmm. And um, even Lagoa backers believe he might be drawn to Barrett because of the spectacle that it would create when Democrats unload on her during the confirmation hearings. And, um, and there are even uh, um, some pragmatists who think that, um, that Barrett could be a good pick um, it, it's really close, but I think since Senate Majority Leader McConnell, and he's obviously overseeing the effort uh, to protect the party's majority, but he has also told the president that he would prefers uh, that he prefers Barrett. At least that's what what uh, we hear from some persons familiar with the discussions. So it looks like Barrett is a first favorite, and Lagoa is a second favorite. And uh, obviously, there are so many other candidates on Trump's list that he could pick. But you ask me for an opinion. And <laughs> this is our view as of this minute. Thanks. Uh, allow me to ask you for one other view, please. And this time, again, stepping back and looking at the situation with a bit more kind of distance. Of course, there are huge implications for the election. That's one thing. But also in an econo economical context, what does this mean? That's obviously the most important questions for us here at Burgos and also the most difficult one. And um, yeah, let me start with the influence on the economy. I would say the Supreme Court has been quite good for business over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And with a third Trump appointee, it could be even better. And the prospect of Republicans increasing their majority to six to three could make the court more favorable for business on issues like arbitration and employment. And it would also boost conservatives' quest against what they always call the administrative state and all the regulations. And um, yeah, and while Republicans see them as unnecessary burdens for free enterprise, obviously uh, Democrats see them as necessary to protect workers, the environment, and so on. So that would be the direct influence. And um, now, last but not least, uh, you ask about the implications for the elections. Mm -hmm. um, one thing seems to be sure to say. The debate over the Supreme Court vacancy has given President Trump the opportunity to switch the focus. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, with, with polling showing he has trouble uh, regarding his management of the coronavirus... I think um, this is not a bad topic for him and his commitment to nominate conservative pro-life justices has helped him and could be of some help to him now. But uh, we have to wait and see how this all plays out. 
And one thing is sure, the focus is now on the first debate on Tuesday in mm -hmm. Cleveland. And uh, topic number one should be, guess what? The Supreme Court. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Till. Uh, I could go on talking to you about RPG for a long time, but I uh, think this is a beautiful place to stop. Thank you very much for these details thank and you. these insights. And we thank you, as always, very much for listening. We will be back next week, um, as usual, on Friday. Until then, as always, a wonderful weekend and a very successful, pleasant week to you. Bye. <laughs>